0: Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening.
1: Language is a powerful thing because language makes it possible to have unity with people who are different. Common language makes it possible to cross cultural boundaries. When we share language, we can come to have a share in each other's lives, even when there was nothing shared in common before. And this is a lesson that South African comedian Trevor Noah learned early in life. Uh, In his memoir, he talks about growing up with his black mother in post-apartheid South Africa. And in that apartheid society, the government had categorized people according to race and segregated those people into different places. Trevor Noah was raised in black neighborhoods with his mother, but he had lighter skin because his father was Swiss. It was difficult for him ever to find a place where he belonged. People in school looked at him, and they saw him as different. An outsider, a stranger, He soon learned that the quickest way to bridge the race gap was through language. He remembers going into a shop with his mom once when he was a child, and the shopkeeper said to a security guard in Afrikaans, the South African dialect of Dutch, follow these blacks in case they steal something. Trevor's mother turned around and responded back in the most fluent, eloquent Afrikaans' Why don't you follow these blacks so you can help them find what they're looking for? (laughs) The shopkeeper stammered and apologized. Uh, Interestingly enough, he didn't apologize for his racism, but he apologized for directing it at them. He said, I'm so sorry. I thought you were like those other blacks. You know how they love to steal. So Trevor Noah learned to do what his mom did. Eventually, he came to speak seven or eight languages. If a person saw him as different and asked him, where are you from? He would respond in the same language with the same accent. They would look confused for a moment because he didn't look the same as, him, as them, but then their shared language would make for unity. Oh, I had thought you were a stranger. We're good then. He learned through situations like this, big and small, in his words, that language, even more than color, defines who you are to people. Language, even more than color, defines who you are to people. Maybe I didn't look like you, but if I spoke like you, I was you. Language is powerful. It helps us recognize that people who are different than us Are also the same as us. Language makes possible unity with people who are different. The power of Pentecost is the power of language. Next slide, please. God unites many peoples without destroying our differences, God makes his people one without us ceasing to be many. God makes us true community without any one of us ceasing to be true persons. God creates unity and preserves difference through the power of language. And this is the power of Pentecost that we heard of in Acts 2 this morning. You probably know the story. After Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended to be with the Father, the believers were all gathered together just waiting for what God would do next. When Pentecost came, God poured out his Spirit on the believers. It was as though a storm suddenly came in and rushed all about them, as though tongues of fire descended and landed on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. As the Spirit gave them ability each person began to speak in many languages about the wonderful works that God had done. Now, there were Jews from many nations in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and these Jews spoke the languages of of the many peoples of the world. And now these Jews from all over are hearing the mighty deeds of God proclaimed in their own languages. They're astonished. Verse 8, it says... How is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? And then they're perplexed. They say, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. This is the power of Pentecost. The Spirit of God empowers the proclamation of the gospel in the languages of many peoples. And the Spirit of God empowers those many peoples to hear of God's mighty deeds in their own languages. In other words, the Spirit of God creates unity and preserves difference through the power of language. And this means that unity is not uniformity. God did not unite believers by giving us all one language to speak. Hebrew, for example, or Greek, or English. One language would have meant uniformity. It would also mean the prominence of one people over all the others. But at Pentecost, God affirms the many languages he gave to humanity at Babel, and God destroys the division that many different languages can sometimes provoke. The Spirit of God empowered each person to hear in their own language about the powerful works of God. And so, by giving us the Spirit of God, by pouring out the Spirit on all flesh, God gives us the power we need to maintain unity and difference. God teaches us to speak the language of the gospel in whatever languages we speak. We may look at each other and see difference, but when we hear each other speaking of God's powerful works in Christ, how Christ has touched our own lives, we recognize our share in each other's lives. That's the power of Pentecost. That's the power of God's Spirit. God creates unity. God preserves difference. God undoes division. We praise God for that. Today, the sermon comes in three parts. I've spoken of the power of Pentecost. In a moment, Pat Ferguson will speak of the promise of Pentecost, and then Jake Barnes about the practice of Pentecost. And after this sermon, itself an act of unity and difference, we'll have the opportunity to pray with each other uh, for the unity of this church. Well, will has done a wonderful job
2: this morning naming the power of Pentecost and how God unifies his people in difference with his love. And, it, and at Pentecost, he does it in this grand, multicultured proclamation of the gospel and why there is something very beautiful about this moment. And then I think Will did a wonderful job at articulating the beauty of this. There's also something uh, deeply disorienting about this moment. You know, and the Scripture alludes to this, Peter, uh, like, rushes into this disorientation, and he says, hey, these people are not drunk. You know, And and in this space of disorientation, P- Peter begins to reorient the people to the significance of what God is doing here. And he opens with words from the prophet Joel, and it was a word of hope given to Israel in exile. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people, on your sons and daughters, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. See, this is the moment Joel was pointing to the spirit of god had landed on the hearts of believers you know and i think in significant moments of disorientation god provides wonderful opportunities for transformation you know peter goes on and he begins to this promise uh, to build this promise of this messianic king who God would send to establish his kingdom on earth, and and really lands in verse 36. He lands on what the outpouring of the Spirit is reorienting the people to. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut, to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. See, the promise of Pentecost is the Spirit of God has been poured out on us and it is unifying our hearts to God. You know, so the Spirit of God is as profoundly powerful presence in our world today. So where do you see it? Where do you see the Spirit of God at work? Well, I had the privilege of leading a homeless ministry in downtown Long Beach for eight years, you know, eight years of Thursday nights. And uh, there, was a, there was one evening where I was able to witness the unifying power of God's Holy Spirit in a way so memorable that it still gives me hope today. So, as a lot of you probably know, alcohol is a profoundly oppressive force within the homeless community. And I knew that walking into the ministry, and I tried to position myself in a place where I could help men and women who were struggling underneath this addiction. And uh, there was a number of occasions where I was able to take somebody to their first AA meeting or introduce them to uh, uh, communities of people in recovery there was even an occasion where I was able to pay the first month's rent for a, a man going into a sober living. You know, and I had some experience helping people fight their addictions, and I felt pretty confident what, that I could help people uh, who needed help and, and in my own power. And there was a night in particular where I was out in the park, and one of my volunteers came and grabbed me, and she's like, you got to meet this guy, Tom. And... Uh, as I was walking up to my friend Tom, uh, I could see he was weeping. And, and I approached Tom, and, and he was just in the most desperate places. His uh, face was, uh, his nose was broke. His face was kicked in from the night before. He passed out after drinking, and somebody decided to kick him in the face and steal all of his money. He was crying. He was fed up. He was at the end of himself. And I asked a few questions just to kind of probe kind of where he was at and I quickly realized there wasn't much I could do to help my friend Tom. You know, he, he was so far down the road of alcoholism that if he were to quit, uh, drinking, the withdrawals would probably kill him and I knew that, uh, he needed, uh, more significant help. I knew he needed an inpatient program and I knew there was only a few facilities in Long Beach that could offer him this, this kind of help. And I knew there was waiting lists. And so in this moment, um, I really realized how helpless I was. And my volunteers as well. And all that we could do in this moment was sit in, in my friend Tom's uh, desperation with him and cry out to God petition God to work and move in my friend Tom's life. And we did. We laid our hands on him. We prayed for him. We cried with my friend Tom. And uh, at the end of the night, we said goodbye. So a week later, we go out in the park, and and we start setting up, and I noticed my friend Tom sitting off to the side. And uh, I, after I get done setting up for the night, I was really eager to go um, sit down and have another conversation with my friend Tom. And as I was walking up to my friend Tom, I noticed there was something different about Tom. And before I can even make it to him, he started showering me with thank yous. And I get up to Tom, I'm like, Tom, what's going on? And Tom was sober. I was like, what the heck is happening? And and he sat down and he started talking to me. He's like, He's like, you know, you're not going to see me for a while. And I had to come back here and I had to say thank you. You know, that night when you guys prayed with me, something happened in my heart. There, there there was something that changed within my heart. And for the the morning after you guys prayed with me, uh, instead of walking to Top Value to get a bottle of vodka, I walked to a treatment facility. And and I just happened to walk in at the right time, and I got set up in this program, and I'm going to leave and go to a rehab. And they've put me on outpatient medicine, and so I'm going to be gone. But I needed to tell you before I left how grateful I am for that prayer. See, the promise of Pentecost is the Spirit of God is going to unify us back to God. The Spirit is going to liberate us from whatever's holding us away from God's grand love for us. See, Jake's going to talk and dig a little deeper in what it looks like to live out a heart unified to God and to the really the practice of Pentecost. I just want to say this about that. You know, God's Spirit has created a willingness in my own heart to give what I have to give. And I'm okay if I give and I, I don't see the results I, I think should come. You know, it's a gift just to be in a position to give. And I know there's significance in... Um, in the ways that I can interact with God in, in, in this world. And I know there's even a little power in what I can offer. But what I can offer is so very limited in comparison to what God wants to do and God's power. And what I really want to see is the Spirit of God at work. See, there's this disorienting and transformative power that lives in God's Spirit. When God's Spirit presses into our hearts, we truly get to embrace who we've been created to be. With the Spirit, we receive God's grand and mysterious love. And this love grabs a hold of all of who we are and begins to reshape us in the most beautiful ways. Now, I long for the Spirit. God to work in our world I long for God's kingdom to come
0: well hello my name is Jake and I wonder have any of you been in a situation where your expectations did not match up with reality I guess so. I'm not quite sure what that means. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, here's the deal about me. Some of you know this. I am a fast food connoisseur. That's how I like to think of myself. And I've found that, that uh, through a lifetime enjoyment of fast food, that is an area where expectations and reality very rarely match. <laughs> and I, I always, um, you know, I'll say, Oh, look at that. I can get all that for $2. And then I'll buy it, and I'll unpack it, and I'll go oh, yeah, that's why it costs $2, right? <laughs> my, my hopes and the things that I expect rarely line up with what I'm actually getting. And I think if you're like me, and I'm going to guess that probably a lot of you are, uh, the church is actually a place where our hopes and our expectations don't actually line up with reality. We have a vision of what this place should be, and then we show up on a Sunday and we go, oh, this is it? I don't know. Well, today we've been hearing about Pentecost. We've heard about how the Spirit descended. Tongues of fire, people from different nations now unified together because of what Christ has done and what the Spirit is doing. And this, this chapter in Acts ends with an account of what the Jerusalem church looked like. So in light of all of this, what does it actually now look like? So verse 43 through 47 of chapter 2 speak to this, and it's radical. I mean, it is just crazy, the stuff that is going on, right? We see that the believers love one another so much, they have such a sacrificial love for these strangers who they've just met, that, that they're like, nothing that's mine is just mine anymore, it's yours as well. Everything is in common. And in fact, it's so crazy that they're selling their houses for one another, to provide for one another, right? That's amazing. If one of you wants to do that for me so that I can pay my bills at Talbot, please go right ahead. I would be so happy. And we see that uh, it says that awe and wonder was present. They were amazed at what God was doing as they met together in their houses and in the temple day by day. The miraculous was in their midst. Miracles were being done through the apostles. And I think the thing that's just the most crazy to me is that they saw salvations every single day. Right? There were thousands of people being saved. And I look at that and I go, I want to be a part of that church. Right? Show me where that church is meeting because I want to be there. I look at grace and I say, I want that to be true at grace. I'm sure you probably do as well. I would hope you do. I think these are good things. So I have my expectations of what church, what this church should look like. And then I'm, I'm saying, well, how do I make that a reality? What do I have to do? What do we have to do to make it happen? That's the question, right? Right? But the thing is, I think it's important to remember that it was God who was doing the work. Verse 47, it it says, And the Lord added to their numbers, day by day, those who were being saved. It's true, it says, that signs and wonders were done through the apostles, but who makes that happen? It's God. God was the one making that happen. And we see this insane, sacrificial love, but we know that that's not something that's self-generated. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is love. So it's God. It is the Spirit that was making these things happen. But then the question is, okay, cool, so God's going to do what he's going to do, but what are we called to do? Uh, Will spoke to us about the power of Pentecost, and then Pat just spoke about the promise of Pentecost, and these are groundbreaking, life-changing realities, right? I mean, they should be. That's how they should feel. God is united with us. That should get our hearts going. Wow. So what are we supposed to do? Put it another way, what is the practice of Pentecost? How do we live that out? Well, I didn't have to do a lot of digging to answer that. Verse 42 uh, pretty much tells you straight up. Speaking of the Jerusalem church, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Pretty ordinary, right? The apostles' teaching. The apostles, these were the men who had been with Jesus Christ while he was doing his ministry. And so now this, like, kind of kindergarten group of believers, right? They're new in this. And so they're looking to them to find out what does this new life in the Spirit look like. They're finding out about the gospel, the power of God displayed in the life and resurrection of Christ. And so they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. It also says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And it's not a verb. It's not to fellowship. It's the fellowship. It's a noun. It's the church. These strangers who were were suddenly all together, they devoted themselves to one another. It became a shared life, a common life. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And so that means that, yeah, they were eating together. um, But even more significantly, that suggests that they were remembering the Lord's Supper. So they were focusing, as they gathered together, on the sacrifice of Christ. Their gatherings had a component where they remembered the gospel. And finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer. This new life in light of Jesus Christ and the Spirit was not one lived on their own, but it was in unison with God. And so, as a church, they prayed and sought God together. Now, if these sound familiar, it's because they are. These are the things that the church has always done. These are the things that this church does. Week in and week out. It's true that we don't have the apostles walking around. We don't have Peter and John walking around here. But we, we do in a way. Right? We have the Bible. That's their words. And so as a community, we are called to devote ourselves to letting these words inform and transform our lives together. And we're, we're called just to devote ourselves to the church. Right? This isn't a Sunday commitment it's a lifestyle. We devote ourselves to one another in love and service. All right? We devote ourselves to communion. We have the bread and cup table here every other week. We reflect on the sacrifice of Christ, the gospel, and we pray together. All of that is going on here. And to be clear, I am not setting up a math equation. So I'm not saying if you do these four practices, then this is the guaranteed result. But what I am saying is that we are called to be unified in our devotion to these things. That's our part. That's the practice of Pentecost. Not a flippant or begrudging commitment, but a devotion, a hunger a life-shaping passion for these things pursued together, united in that, and then trusting that the Spirit will work through us as He sees fit and for us to respond accordingly. So brothers and sisters, let's be united in our devotion.